We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. God bless you. individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T. And today my guest is Dr. Michael Jaquith. He graduated from Cornell University with a PhD in chemistry and spent almost 10 years in big corporate life. Now as a certified life coach, he specializes in helping men discover how to escape addictions and live a more meaningful and fulfilling life by combining cutting edge science and coaching expertise with time honored teachings of faith. Michael, welcome to the show. Johnny, thank you so much for having me here. I'm delighted for this conversation. So you started out with a PhD in chemistry. What drove you into that choice of education? No, to really do that answer justice, I think I should start by going backwards in time. I came from a very, very abusive home growing in rural northern Michigan, physically, emotionally, sexually, all of it. It was just a horrible, horrible start. And I basically fled from that beginning as far and fast as I could. I was angry. I was hurt. I was pursuing hedonism. I knew nothing of God. I just knew that I wanted out. And I wanted to go as far away as I possibly could. And so I went off to college. I drank the fish. That turns out that doesn't do great things for you. I chased ladies. By the grace of God, I actually wasn't very good at it. But <laughs> that didn't stop me from trying. But I knew that I needed more money because I identified money was one of the things that caused my parents' story to go so horribly awry. And so I finished undergraduate. I actually had a talent for it. I was pretty good at school. So I said, well, I'm going to keep going because supposedly that makes more money. Like Not the most noble of reasons, right? Like I'd love to tell you that God places call in my heart. But no, no. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to change my life from where I started. Money will do that. Let me go get this PhD in chemistry. And so I kind of stumbled there. So you talk about your interaction with God, you know, helping his leading across your path. Obviously, that journey started back in your home environment and you raced away from that. But how did you draw close to God? What was the crux of that relationship beginning? When I was in ninth grade, I had already tried the Church of Hedonism for a while and I hadn't quite got done trying it. But I met a young man named Paul, rather ironic. And Paul and I shared two great loves. We both loved the outdoors and we loved to argue. And our favorite thing to argue about was the faith. And I took, you know, basically the opposite of our perspective Paul took, because that was good enough. For me. And it took 12 years of me arguing with Paul. And I hear these people about saying, oh, it took me five years to decide to convert. It took me seven years. But guys, you got nothing. It took me 12 years. I'm way more <laughs> stubborn. And eventually, God was very patient with me. He knew that I was hurting. He knew that I was in a bad spot. And he was just there waiting. And God, via Paul, via more men that God brought into my life later on, just kept offering again and again and again, are you ready for something else? Is alcohol and chasing ladies and pornography and video games making you feel like a million bucks? 
And of course the answer is no. And God is saying, I got a solution. Let me know when you're ready. And he was very, very patient with me. And so 12 years later on, I eventually, I just gave, I gave up. Like I said, I've got, I'm, I'm tired running. I've tried everything. Literally, I tried all of it. Like, like I tried everything I could think of to try and nothing was filling that hole that was in my heart. So that journey took place during your educational process too, based on the timeline that you're giving me. Did God bring Christian people across your path when you were in Cornell? Very much so. So I met Paul back in ninth grade and he and I stayed friends with another young man named by the name of Rob. Rob also played a very pivotal role in my conversion. And I think there are quite a few guys, you know, the beauty of hindsight is you get to look back and all the little chance encounters that didn't seem like much at the time start to be revealed as having the divine fingerprints all over them. And so God knew me well enough to know that a strong hand at that point would have been helpful. A lot of good guys in little ways were brought into my life all the way through there. And I still held out. Listener, if you think you're stubborn, trust me, you're in good company because God can work with stubborn people too. And it was in 2008, my very last year of graduate school, when I eventually decided that's it, time to change. And part of that, if I'm in full disclosure, is because I really wanted something better for my own marriage. I knew that I wanted to get married. I knew I wanted children. And intellectually, I knew as well that marriage outside the church is a very different thing than a marriage inside the church. Absolutely. Yeah. Marriage based on the foundation of God's principles. God says we need to build our house on the rock and yeah. not on sinking sand. I think it's really interesting that you left chemistry in the corporate world and now you've moved into being a certified life coach because in my mind, they both deal with relationships. Chemistry deals with relationships of ions and anions and you know resins and different things like that. And now you're a life coach that's helping men achieve success and, and reactions and relationships and so on, but from a godly perspective. So tell me how you made that jump from the corporate world into the certified life coach. I want to share a short story with you. And this story is kind of embarrassing from my perspective. I advanced very quickly in the corporate world and I was quickly put into a leadership position. I was given my first team and one year into this, my boss pulls me off the side and with very serious face says, Michael, you need to know every person your team wants to quit because they can't stand working for you. Every single one of them. It was like a gut punch. I'm like, what? And so he looks at me in the face. He says, but I see potential in you. And if you're willing to learn and change, I will give you a new team. And he did. And true to his word, he was relentless. And he actually wasn't a Christian man, but he had such good virtue in him that it shone through. This was a time in my life when I kind of had that thought where you convert and you're done. You're like, that's it. I did the <laughs> thing. I put the check in the box. It's over. And that's it. Not so. My God's work with me was just starting. And this was a powerful piece of it because this kind of got my attention and got me to listen. And his work with me was so powerful that two years later, one of those original three people was in a meeting with me. And as we walk out, Josh grabs my shoulder almost roughly and says, Michael, we got to talk. I say, yeah, Josh, what's going on? He says, what happened to you? You have transformed. And I want some of it. Well, tell me what happened to you. Where'd you get this? And that was the beginning. When I went to my next job, I switched from the world's best boss, to the world's worst boss. And I quickly started mentoring all the people around me and even some above me in the same way my boss mentored me. And I tell you, Johnny, I found that so fulfilling. Like, I mean, the work's work, you know, wherever you go in and check in, check out, there's a sense of just repetition of the work. But the people, those relationships, those dynamics, watching someone grow. One short story, there's a gentleman directly from China who was actually in the process of discerning a faith conversion of his own and was just discerning he was going to have a larger family. I remember the day he sat down at the lunch table and said, I think maybe I'm being called to have a third child as if it was heresy that he was saying this to me, right? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, that's amazing. I think if you're feeling called to that, you should go for it. And yeah. the joy later on in his face, there's nothing that compares to that for some spreadsheet you submit as a report to your boss with that sort of joy. And that's, that's really what led me here. I think it's interesting too, because people, you know, we can take personal inventories in our life. And as you say, you know, we can go to work every day, five days a week, four, whatever it is. And you can plug away at a computer, or you can swing 
hammer all day long. And that's not necessarily what God has called you or gifted you to do. Paul was a tent maker, right? So he had some handheld skills that he used to support his ministry and so on, but his calling was a ministry for God. And I think it's really important that our listeners understand that there's things that burn in your heart that you feel that you're not going to achieve much in life unless you're doing those things, but you just can't seem to find a way to do that. I think what I'm hearing from you, and I've seen it myself, is that God will drop these kind of clues along that journey to show us, you know, bring people to us asking questions about a specific thing that maybe God has given us a gifting in to deal with, as you were talking about. So tell us more about how that branched out and developed. I think it's worth noting that while it's true, God put that burning in my heart, I was terrified of it. And I'm going to be real transparent here. I enjoyed having a nice salary. I was paid very well. I had a lot of benefits. You know, we call it golden handcuffs for a reason. And I was Mm -hmm. making good money doing what I was doing. And so when God first started this tug in my heart that I should leave this job of entrepreneurial, I kind of was kind of pulling the Jonah move. I was like, no, nope, I don't think that's my direction. And then if it's a bad spot, Lord, we don't need to go there. I'm just fine here. And, you know, again, God understanding what he's working with used a delightful combination of great patience and blunt two by four to the head level negotiation techniques. (laughs) And I think, I mean, first off, this is the sort of thing where if you're a married man and you aren't sharing your heart with your wife, you are in for a rough time because it's easy just to trust your own judgment too much or to not trust your own discernment too much and to be led astray. And so there were many quality conversations with my wife. And as we're going through, there were a number of little mini hops through this. And each time I talked to her, I thought I'd walk up to her and I'd say, honey, this is crazy. Like just crazy. I think God's calling that I should me to do this. She's like, well, of course, honey, I've known this for a while. Like what? <laughs> Why did you tell me this? What did this cover out? And that was such a powerful engagement for me as part of my story is, is having her as a sounding board, going to our Lord in prayer. I remember at one point in time, this prayer, I was as a church and I took a piece of paper and wrote it down the middle. And I said, reasons to do, and you go to Veneva, reasons to not go. To. And I started listing it all out. And I said, God, I don't even know what to write on this paper. And he wrote stuff out. And every reason I wrote to not be obedient to his calling as I read it was in essence, sinful and selfish and not mm-hmm. trusting and based on fear. And I tell you, Johnny, it's not like it's easy. There are times I still miss that nice, comfortable salary that was present, yeah. you know, working there yeah. in the big for the big research areas. Yeah. But the beauty of following God's call is that little piece of you that's inside is alive. There's no substitute for that. You can't buy that with all the monies. I agree for sure. And the peace too that you have, you know, when you're doing what God's called you to do, God's a provider. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's no big deal for him, right? I've heard so many stories and experienced so many things in my own life where God has provided, as I'm sure you have. So I think stepping out in faith, the Bible's full of stories of people stepping out in faith to follow what God calls them to do. And God never lets them down. He just asks us to be willing to follow his direction, but we have to have ears to hear and eyes to see what it is he wants. And courage to to trust. And courage to trust, right? Amen. Yeah. So it was about then that as we're just taking off, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know where this is going to go, but my wife being so supportive, we're going into this and it gets even more interesting. And so at this point in time, I should note, just kind of show the funny way God works. We had three children in our lives and my wife became pregnant with our fourth. And unknownst to me, she had some medical complications and she ended up being stuck in bed for about four months. And due to a variety of medical complications and other factors, we ended up getting pregnant the next two years in a row and each one got worse. And she was in bed for six months and then six months hard in bed. And I remember as I'm going through that, I, my prayer to God was something like, God, what the heck are you doing? I had it all. And now I'm here in the desert all by myself. And I'm taking care of the children and trying to build this business and nothing's working. And the piece I want to add is that sometimes God does something that doesn't make sense to us at the time. But when we do trust and hold to that course, he always brings something good. 
out of it. I didn't see it at the time, but boy, he is the provider. He does have all those cattle, just as you said. It's important that we look back on those times and those seasons to see how God has supported us, because when the bigger battles come or the bigger struggles come, then we can have that faith to build on. He's already shown us that. I'm a big proponent of writing in a prayer book, and I have like stacks of prayer books of years. And, you know, I can go back and I can look and I've seen places that I've marked, oh, that got answered. That got answered. That got answered. And it's important that we remember that God does hear and listen to our prayers when we're honest with him and when we're open and, as you said, transparent with God. He knows everything anyway. Like, what can you hide from? He knows everything. So you're never going to surprise him with what you go to him with prayer, right? It's so true, but it's so funny how often we get ourselves all worked up over that. I know there's a big period of my life where I was very angry, especially in this time when my wife was on bed rest. And a good friend of mine, a mentor of mine came to me and he said, Michael, are you telling God about your anger? And I remember saying to him, that's ridiculous. I don't need to tell that. Like, I don't have a right to be angry at God, blah, blah. Intellectually, I know I should never be angry at God. He's perfect and good, blah, 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 blah. And he really challenged me to bring that into it. And I still have actually some prayer journals. I've got my prayer journal from that time period sitting in my bookcase. And there's some less than flattering things that I wrote in that journal <laughs> in my prayer to God. And truth be told, I don't really want anyone else to read those. But I think it was important for me in that time, exactly as you're saying, to really be transparent, to really bring that. And now I do sometimes flip through those, look back, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I see now how this piece here, even though I was so upset about the time, played a role in what was to come. And that genuine engagement with God, there's the verse that says, you know, you must be either hot or cold or I'll split you out if you're lukewarm. And I think there's a secondary meaning to that, which is in our engagement with God as well, whether we can be angry, we can be loving, but if we're just like putting on that fake veneer, it's not a good spot. Yeah, it's a pretty shallow way to walk your life, that's for sure. Talking about transparency and openness with God, you combine teachings of faith in your life coaching and you specialize in addictions. So how important is it when you discuss with men about addictions and how to overcome those about using faith as part of that and being transparent in admitting to whatever they're addicted to? My certification for life coach school was through a secular source. And so I spent a good amount of time coaching people in a secular manner. And by all means, life coaching can be very powerful in without the faith. However, it's kind of like trying to do the job without your biggest tool, with a hand tied behind your back. When I engage guys who are struggling with addiction, or a lot of times in a parallel sense, guys who are really struggling with an identity of who am I, and they are left with nothing but things of the world to turn to, it really limits their ability to transform how they see themselves. So often when we're stuck with an addiction, it's this vicious cycle where I'll do something I don't like. I'm just a bit pornography because it's so common right now, but it's just a common one. Maybe I, I go on and engage in this action. Then what do I do? I feel horrible about myself. And I'm going to be super clear. I was engaged. I was addicted to pornography for many years. So I have a tender spot for those guys who are struggling mm. with this. And you feel horrible and the shame just builds and builds. And what do you do? I feel so horrible. One thing I know of makes me feel good. I go back on the internet and I click again. It comes back around. Oh, I did it again. I'm even worse. I'm the most despicable scumbag of all time. Now I feel so bad. There's literally one thing in the world that will make me feel better. And I go and click again. And when you get stuck in these cycles, one of the most powerful things you can possibly do is bring in God to this equation. Because mm-hmm. the life coaching skills help me dig down to what you're believing to be true about yourself. And God does the heavy lifting to help heal that. And so often we're terrified, as men in particular, to surrender our sense of control over defining who we are and what we do to God. And until we surrender that sense of control, we're stuck. Because the reality is, Johnny, I, Michael, do not have the power to beat an addiction. I can go into all the chemistry about it and go all the neurological science behind what an addiction is doing to your brain. Mm -hmm. And you can't beat it on your own. It's just too much. But when you bring God in, 
everything is possible. And I have been in this Zoom meeting, like you and you and I are right now, with countless men who will find down to this core shame, this core fear. And when we just stop, enter into prayer, we invite the Lord into that moment. And the transformation is so powerful. They will sob like little girls. I mean, it's in the best possible sense as Jesus encounters them and this piece of their life. They were so terrified to show you're right. It is a pandemic of its own in this world and men and women, kids, whatever. Absolutely. You're right that it's through submitting that to Christ honestly and accepting that he understands. It's so true. It doesn't matter what battle someone is facing. God's already won all those battles for us. We just have to step into that in faith and learn to accept that victory for ourselves. But it's not easy. The devil's got a very well-rehearsed set of lies. The devil will throw it at you. God doesn't love you. He doesn't Mm -hmm. really care for you. You're not worth it for him. He won't really accept you. If he really knew how bad you were, you'd be on the blackout list. You'd be canceled. And like all those lies, he chooses them because he knows they work. It's a big opponent out there right now. And he's got a lot of power, a lot of heart. So why do you think men struggle so much with identity? Do you think it's because of the way society is packaging the narrative of what men and women should be? A hundred percent. And I want to be very clear that what I'm about to say is not trying to be political at all. But the reality is we live in a time when there has been a much greater emphasis on the feminine than pretty much through any time of history. One of Christendom's great contributions to all of society, say Christendom mean the, the church from zero, zero to the present day, has been the elevation of both men and women as being of dignity, different, mm-hmm. but equal in their rights and their dignity. And the reality is through most of the time, there was oppression of women. And through most of the time, there was oppression of men. But the reality right now is we have swung the pendulum to where the feminine is being placed in transcendent. And a great easy example is look at Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Look at the role models put forth by Hollywood. I mean, Homer Simpson is almost the iconic male that Hollywood loved to present. Him and Indiana Jones. I feel like with those two characters, you basically summarize the vast majority of major male roles that are portrayed. And so here we have the common guy, maybe you, Johnny, maybe me, maybe a listener. And they're looking, they're like, well, I don't want to be Homer Simpson. That doesn't look fun. You know what? I'm not suave enough. And I don't have a good enough six pack to be, you know, Indiana Jones. And so where does that leave me? Who am I? The culture is telling me that masculine stuff is problematic and hear these words about toxic masculinity. Maybe I don't even know what they mean. Maybe no one knows what they mean, but it leaves this big gap. We had one more piece to this really tragic equation, which is we have divorce rates now that are untold of in the history of humanity. This is a social experiment. If you want to be a little bit cold, we're trying on our children to raise them without fathers in the home. Mm -hmm. And the numbers coming back, speaking as a scientist, are horrific for the social experiment. And one of the biggest fallouts is in young men. And one of the reasons why they're falling out is because they do not know what it is to be a man. They do do not know, am I a man? They do not know, am I good enough? And these fundamental questions are just burning holes in the hearts of men everywhere in the country right now. And it's a horrible set of social experiments, whatever the reasons, who knows what the policies are. But the reality is in the numbers, this is just destroying the lives of countless men. And it's certainly fertile ground for the attacks of the enemy with, oh, those, so true. with those struggles for him to walk in and say, hey, you know what? I got the answers and people will search for those for sure. And you feel horrible right now. Do you want to feel better? And that's what's so sneaky about the attack. I mean, you can see it in the Garden <laughs> of Eden. He is so sneaky with his attacks. He, he, I, he calls out a partial truth. Yeah, things are bad for you right now, but I can make it better. Yeah, absolutely. So how can men break through that struggle and become more comfortable with their God-designed identity? I think the first thing I want to call out is the biggest thing men today need is other men. We have lost so much the culture. The proverb is always overquoted as iron sharpens iron, so iron one, one man sharpens another. And it's quoted so much, it does seem to lose some of its meaning. But I want to pause just for a second and note, have you ever actually held iron and ground against other iron? Some characteristics of this process include lots of sparks, 
heat, friction, discomfort. (laughs) This is not an enjoyable process for either piece of iron, right? And so naturally, when we live in a culture where men are trained to do comfort above all else, they're going to be like, that looks really dangerous. I don't want to be ground right now. I'll just take the non-grindy solution. Thank you. And so we have pulled back from real discussions and real connections with other men. And when I say really good men around you, I mean, the sort of guy where if he sits down next to you and he goes, how's it going? You're like, oh, cool. You should be looking at you and going, no, how's it really going? Mm -hmm. What's really taking place in your life right now? And how can I be here with you through it? And that is rare. And gentlemen, if you're listening, you don't have that. I want to encourage you that to try being that for someone else. And if the guy's with you right now, your current friends aren't going to do that, find different guys. The number one thing is you've got to be willing to find a group of guys that you can get real with. And the number two thing, this is the word that guys hate so much, is the word surrender. Mm -hmm. When we want to redefine our identity, the number one most powerful sense is to surrender our own sense to that of God. There are probably three quarters or more clients I've worked with. At some point in our work, I'll say, so God thinks of you as his beloved son and sees you with great dignity and worthy of forgiveness. And you disagree with him because you think you're not worthy of forgiveness. You're not good enough. So let me just really straight. The infinite creator of the universe believes this to be a certain way. And you think you're qualified to argue with him. Oh yeah. But if he only knew, I'm like, he does. He does know. Surrender to him. He knows more. And that's the only way for it. Yeah, I agree 100%. There was a saying that we heard years ago, and I can't remember who said it, but he said, young man, your arms are too short to box with God. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that for sure. So just as we're coming to a close here, if there was one thing that you could tell our listeners about God, what would that be? God wants to be with you, united with you, connected with you more than you can possibly imagine. And he already knows all that stuff anyways, and has chosen you regardless of it. And his forgiveness and his mercy will cover it. All you have to do is just simply say yes. And I think as guys, we feel like we need to earn it. It sounds like a lot of things, but what I was trying to build towards is you don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. The only way you get it is not by earning it, but by surrendering into it. Yeah, that's right. It says in Romans, it's not a works lest any man should boast. If we could work our way to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing, right? Amen. Amen. So if our listeners want to find out more about your life coaching, where can they go? Absolutely. So I am Catholic. I work with all people of all faiths. I work with Protestants. If if you point up north, well, okay, maybe not north, but up to <laughs> heaven and say, Jesus is Lord. I don't want to discriminate against those in the Southern Hemisphere. Then I will work with you. You can find me at Catholic Life Coach for Men. It's the name of the podcast, the name of the website, CatholicLifeCoachForMen.com. And I identify by my faith because I believe that is the pillar where I start everything. And I have had Catholic clients. I've had Protestant clients. I I have not had any Muslim clients. I had one Jewish client so far. And so we'll see where life goes with that. But if you can point up and acknowledge the basics of the faith, I'm happy to work with you. Yeah, as long as we have that Apostles' Creed. Amen. Right? That's the foundation of our faith for sure. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and discussing, like, these are timely issues. And it's important that our listeners really take to heart what you've offered them today in advice and clear direction on how they can improve their lives and and really come into that relationship with Jesus. So thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Johnny, for having me. Don't give me any credit. It all comes from upstairs. I'm just the messenger. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.
Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. 
So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.